0: When I was a small child, I was particularly close to my maternal grandparents. Uh, We called them Mama and Papa, and uh, shortened the latter to Pop uh, later on. And uh, we were very close to them. And when I knew them, they were great believers in Jesus. They were very strong believers, but they went to different churches. Um, Every Sunday morning, Sunday evening, and I assume on Wednesday night, because that's when we went, uh, my Pop would bring Mama and drop her off at our house, and she would go to church with us to a very traditional, independent Christian church. And then Pop would then go to his church, which was a Pentecostal church. He would stop by on the way home after church, and he would pick up Mama and take her home. And we repeated that week after week uh, when I was a kid. We never had a conversation about that. It just was what it was. I remember one Wednesday night, we had a wedding rehearsal or something, that we ended up going to his church afterwards, the first time that I'd ever been there. And I remember it was very different from us. Uh, the women there wore long dresses and no jewelry and had their hair up in a bun. Uh, their services were long, uh, the music was loud and really far out, especially for the 60s and 70s. And they practiced things like foot washing and they talked about the filling of the Holy Ghost and speaking in tongues. And I didn't really know exactly what all went on there. I just knew that it was very, very different from our church. Now, in our church, we didn't talk much about the Holy Ghost and the Holy Spirit. I think we were kind of afraid of Him, what that might mean, uh, but, uh, but it was very, very different. And, uh, you know, it's not just back in, the, you know, 50 years ago. A few years ago, I also met a guy right here in our area who um, excitedly told me about his church, a, a place where uh, they were slain in the Spirit, they were falling down and dancing in the aisles. And while that's not our culture, I'm not critical of that at all, I think we could probably learn a little more excitement about worship sometime. I think we might could get a little more excited about it. But our cultures are very different, exactly, All the we understand that. You know, today we're going to be talking a little bit about the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about the Spirit's coming, we're going to talk about how the church began, and we are in a study that we've been in for a few weeks now called, uh, or the book of Acts, called Sent, which is basically the message of Acts, that people were sent, and that today we are sent as well. And as we look at this book, we're going to see a record of the beginning of the church. Uh, We talked about some history. We talked about uh, the very name of the book, Acts. tells us about actions, things that happened in that day. And we're also going to talk about the early beginnings and how the church began to grow. So to kind of back up a little bit and catch you up, if you haven't been with us, Jesus spent three years on the earth teaching and preaching about the kingdom of God. He had been crucified. He had been buried, resurrected. And just 10 days before the account we're going to read today, Jesus had gone back into heaven, ascended up into the heavens right before the eyes of his disciples. And they had been told that now the mission was there, you are to go, you are going to be sent. However, I want you to go and wait before you do that. So they've been gathered together in an upper room where we left them last week. They've been praying, they've been growing in unity together in spirit and waiting for the coming of the Holy Spirit so that they can begin. The work and the mission that Jesus had left for them to do. And that was to preach the good news about Jesus and tell everyone the only way to get to heaven is through Jesus Christ. The same message that we preach today. Now in the Old Testament, this, all this had been prophesied. In the book of Joel chapter 2, God said, "'It will come to pass after this that I will pour my Spirit out on all mankind.'" So there was a promise, one of the promises, the prophecies of in the Old Testament, is that God was going to give His Spirit to all mankind. Earlier in the book of Acts, chapter 1, we studied this a couple weeks ago, Jesus had told His disciples, "'Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit.'" And we talked back then, when we studied that, about how baptism means to be immersed or put into something and covered with something, and how we are immersed in water, but we're also immersed and we're also covered with the Holy Spirit, God's presence in our life. And so now we see all that happening, being fulfilled in Acts chapter 2. So if you uh, have your Bibles, we're going to read a lot of Scripture today in this chapter, so um, either the screen or your Bibles, however you want to do that. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. So the day itself that all of this happened was a pretty special day. It was the day of Pentecost. It was a feast of the Jewish people, and feast days were a big deal for the Jews. In fact, it was such a big deal that they kind of based their calendar around these feast days because most of the time they had to travel back to Jerusalem to celebrate them. So it was always a travel day. It was a a big part of, of their life and their calendar. Pentecost is a Jewish holiday that's still celebrated today by Orthodox Jews, and it's 50 days after Passover, Now, Passover is the celebration of God's miraculous deliverance of the people of Israel from their time in Egypt when they were slaves, and they were being in oppression. And that was given through the shedding of the blood of a substitutionary lamb, which symbolizes the coming of Christ, who is our Passover lamb. And so they would celebrate Passover, and it was a big, big feast, And then 50 days later, the word penta means 50. So 50 days later, they would celebrate Pentecost. Now, Pentecost itself is also full of meaning and significance as well. Pentecost is also called the Feast of First Fruits. So if you were to look at a list of their holidays and their feasts, the Feast of First Fruits is Pentecost, when people would bring the first fruits of their harvest, and they would bring and give them up to God. Jewish tradition also held that Pentecost was a time when God gave the law to Moses on Mount Sinai, delivering the law so that the people of Israel would know what God's will was for their life. So in the Old Testament, God gave the law on Pentecost. In the New Testament, God gives his spirit on Pentecost. And how this kind of connects in in that particular year is that Jesus had been arrested and tried and killed during Passover week, which makes perfect sense symbolically, right? They were celebrating the Passover, God delivering them from Egypt many years before, and at the same time, God was uh, instantly delivering them through Jesus Christ. This had only been 50 days earlier, so it's 50 days after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And so that's the account that we have here. And the Bible says that when they were together in one place, that the Spirit came in a very dramatic way. And it describes a couple of ways the Spirit came. First of all, it says they heard a sound like a violent wind that filled the house. Now, you know, I always thought that it really truly was a violent wind, you know, that things were blowing around everywhere and it was just chaos. But but it doesn't say it was a wind. It says it was like a wind. That means that the sound, if you've ever heard a tornado or just a, You know, very hard, strong winds that are blowing, the whistling, uh, just the roar of it all. I've heard of people who have been in tornadoes say it's almost unbelievable the volume that they hear. So it was kind of like that as the Holy Spirit came. You know, it's interesting in both the Old Testament, which is Hebrew, written in Hebrew, and the New Testament, which is written in Greek, that the word uh, for spirit is the same word for breath or for wind. So it connects very quickly, very easily there, the sound of wind, breath, the Holy Spirit. The sound from heaven was the sound of the coming and the pouring out of the Spirit in, uh, into and onto the disciples. And as they were praying together, it doesn't seem to be a warning, it just was sudden, it was mighty, <coughs> there was a strong force that came, and it says it filled the room. And so this was the first sign. An indication of the Spirit's presence. So instantly they knew that the promise was being fulfilled, what, God had, what Jesus had said was going to happen, that the Spirit was coming upon them. The second thing that happened seemed to be like tongues of fire that came and separated and came to rest on each of the disciples. Again, it doesn't say it literally is fire. Uh, we always have this idea in my mind that it was fire that happened. It doesn't say it was fire, but it seemed to be fire. Now, fire was a pretty important part and, and um, symbol of God's presence. John the Baptist had said earlier that Jesus would come, and he would baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. In the Old Testament, previously, fire was usually a sign of purification. If something was uh, like, for, gold, for example, gold would be heated with fire, and all the impurities would, would come to the top, skim it off, and it would be pure gold. So it was kind of an a, a indication of purification. God also showed his acceptance of sacrifices quite often by bringing fire down from heaven. Several accounts in the Bible about, you know, people having a sacrifice laid out there, fire would come down from heaven and would accept that. Fire was pretty symbolic. And in this day, it was symbolic of the presence of God. And seemingly what looked like or seemed like a large flame came down from heaven, separate into smaller flames or tongues of fire, And then they came to rest on each of the disciples. Now the disciples were not really strangers to the Holy Spirit. This wasn't the first time that they'd heard uh, about the person and the work of the Spirit. And Jesus had been talking about uh, the Spirit uh, with them for some time. And they had seen the Holy Spirit at work in Jesus' life. Jesus kept telling them that this was the power that He drew upon. And they would heard Him promise a new work of the Spirit, a coming of the Spirit. When they had gone out and served and seen God do great things through them, they'd experienced something of the power of the Spirit when they served and and were obedient and healed people. And uh, we also read last week, I believe, that it said during the, the 40 days that Jesus was with them, that Jesus had uh, proven his resurrection, but also he had taught them through the Holy Spirit. So all this time, Jesus had been, you know, familiarizing them with this person of the presence of God. And that's exactly who the Holy Holy Spirit is. He has always existed, just as God the Father and Jesus the Son have always existed. Now, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was oftentimes seen. There would be times when it would say that the Spirit of God would be present, And He would come, and He would be acting and working in people and circumstances. But then the Spirit would oftentimes disappear, or He came and went. So the coming of the Spirit on the day of Pentecost was a fulfillment of the promise that God had made in Joel, and also the promise that Jesus had made in John chapter 14 and 16, I believe, where it says that the Spirit would come and would be present with God's people going forward. Now, today, while we don't have the fire and the wind and the sound and the visual and all that, we can be assured that we too can and do have the experience and or experience the gift of the Holy Spirit. You know, Jesus said actually it would be better for him to go into heaven, he told his disciples, so that we could then have the Holy Spirit's presence in our life. Now most of us can't imagine how we would be better off not having Jesus with us. And they, they didn't understand that either, but understand that when Jesus was on the earth, he limited himself to the human, uh, human limitations. So in other words, he wasn't with everybody and everywhere at the same time. He was at one place at one time with one group of people. And so when the, when the gospel is gonna be spread around the world, the presence of the Holy Spirit is in every believer. So as he is with us everywhere all the time. And so I believe that maybe that's what Jesus was referring to. And we received the gift of the Holy Spirit at our baptism, the presence of God in our life, and that's going to be discussed next week in the, in the next uh, installment of this study. Well, there was one other phenomenon that happened here, and let's pick that up in verse four. It says, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Pergia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. So the disciples began to speak in languages that they had never taught, never spoken or never been taught as the Spirit began to give them words. And this was a miracle. This was uh, an impressive, uh, the third phenomenon, if you will, of the coming of the Spirit. Uh, the sound, the visual uh, that looked like fire, and then the demonstration of the different languages. Now you might ask the question, why did they have to speak in different languages? And if you kind of look at the scripture, you're gonna see the answer. And the answer is that whenever the Spirit came and there was this loud noise and, and these demonstrations the the sound was loud enough to attract people, and they began to gather. You know, this may have been an outer court. Uh, It was probably near a public place, and people began to come, and they began to be attracted to what was going on. Notice that there were people here uh, in Jerusalem to celebrate the day of Pentecost from many different nations and many different places around the world. They were Jews who had scattered over the known world and they'd come back here to worship on this uh, feast day. Now, if you were to look at a modern day map uh, and the places listed would include places like Iran and Turkey and North Africa, Crete, Rome, Arabia, Egypt, Syria, the Middle East, and of course Israel. So it was a very broad spectrum of people who were probably from all parts of the known world at that time. Now that in itself I think is important because the timing was perfect. Timing was perfect because there were people here from everywhere who would come to know Jesus and understand this, receive the Holy Spirit, then go back home and take the gospel with them. And the Bible says that they then heard in their own language, even though the disciples only knew Armenian. Armenian is what they spoke and Greek is what they wrote. Uh, but they were Galileans, that's what was so amazing. These were not educated people, they were fishermen. They'd never studied these languages and yet they began to hear in their own language. You know, when the Bible talks about speaking in tongues, it's always referring to speaking in a known language that someone basically speaks and it's used to communicate the gospel. And I'm not dismissing the modern tongue movement at all, but let me, I'll say that it's not the same thing as described in the Bible. And I will tell you, I have not experienced that myself. And I don't know a lot of people actually uh, that have or claim to. So it's not an indication of a person having the Holy Spirit. In their life or not the gift of speaking in tongues and interpreting tongues is also mentioned a little bit later in in first corinthians i believe but again it's for the communication of the gospel to be shared and i believe that these were sign gifts that were given to draw uh people to christ to communicate the gospel And that they, like the gifts of of healing and raising the dead, these were signed gifts that then passed away after the church was firmly established. And so that's kind of what the gift was given for in that day. In Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit was communicating the gospel to all nations, which had been prophesied. God said, I will pour my spirit out on all mankind. And this was given to the disciples. So when we pick it up in verse 14, it says, then Peter stood up with the 11, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour my spirit out on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, your old men will dream dreams, even on my servants, both men and women. I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So here Peter connects these miraculous signs and events here to the Old Testament prophecy that God would would pour his spirit out on mankind. And you know, there were people who had been looking for this and longing for this fulfillment for for all their lifetime and, and for many, many centuries before that. And Peter reminds them, that they and now we are truly living in the last days. We hear people talk about the last days, and and that's true. We don't know when the last of the last days are, but but ever since Jesus went into heaven, we're living in the last days. And that God is showing His might and His power uh, through these signs in that day to draw attention, to authenticate the message and the disciples there. And He says that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And you know, that message resonates down to us today. It's still true today as much as it was in that day. And so, Peter is explaining what's going on there, and then Peter quickly pivots to the real focus of the sermon. You know, this was uh, kind of getting the people's attention, but what Peter really wanted to talk about was Jesus, and that was uh, the resurrected Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth. So, let's pick that up in the next verse, verse 22. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourself know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope because you will not abandon me in the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Now keep in mind who the audience was that Peter was talking about, This was, or talking to, this was made up of all Jews, either natural born Jews, it, it mentions earlier, that some of them may have been converts to Judaism, but many of them had also been in Jerusalem uh, 50 days earlier. Keep in mind, they had to come back to Jerusalem uh, a couple times or several times a year, and many of them had either been there earlier or they, they, they'd remained there, perhaps, for the Passover. And many of them may have even been in the crowd that were calling for Jesus' blood or perhaps just bystanders, but they knew what had happened 50 days prior. And Peter reminds them of the, of the claims of Jesus and he reminds them of the proof of who Jesus was, that Jesus uh, was the son of God as proven by the resurrection. Perhaps some of them had even had seen the risen Christ. And at least some of them must have been in the crowd they were calling for his blood because Peter says directly that they, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. So he's very directly confronting them, some of them at least, about their sin and their hand in putting Jesus to death. But then he rushes on to say that God has raised him from the dead because it was impossible for death to keep his hold on Jesus, that even death could not keep down the Son of God. And Peter here is describing uh, or declaring publicly uh, the basis of our faith. He's trying to drive home the point that, yes, Jesus was dead, but now Jesus is alive. And it's been proven many different ways. And since these are Jewish people, he used the words of David, who was a respected king of Israel uh, many years before, where he predicted the death and the burial of Jesus, and, and yet his resurrection before his body decayed. So he's saying David understood this. David looked toward this. And then he continues, fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet, and he knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised his Jesus to life, and we're all witnesses of it exalted the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, the Lord said to me, my Lord, set at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this, that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah." You know, every Jew in that day loved David. They loved the memory of David. But Peter reminded them that David had died and was buried. They knew where his tomb was, that he was still in the ground. This, he wasn't, this, this prophecy wasn't referring to David himself, that David was not the Messiah, but David had prophesied of Jesus' coming, his death, resurrection, and also the fact that he would not even see the decay, that he would be resurrected before that happened. Interestingly enough, Jesus was a direct descendant of David. If you know where Jesus was born, he was born in the town of David, Bethlehem. And the reason they went was because his parents were from the lineage of David. So the prophecies were falling directly into place. And that God had raised Jesus to life again and exalted him to the right hand of God. The Holy Spirit was being poured out as Jesus had promised to remind them and to draw them to God. You know, this was the first gospel sermon. Seemingly, maybe the first time it had been publicly preached that Jesus... Had been restored back to life again, and that this was God's plan of salvation through Christ alone, crucified and resurrected. And then Peter concludes it by saying, Let all Israel be assured of this. God made this Jesus, whom you crucified, very personal, both Lord and Messiah. It's almost like Peter was saying, You were all wrong about Jesus. You took him as a, an insurrectionist, you took him as a rebellion, you took him as a blasphemer, some of them did. But instead, you crucified him. You took him like a common criminal, but by the resurrection, God's proved that he is Lord and Messiah. I mean, a strong declaration of who Jesus was. And you know, Peter's words had an impact on the listeners. In verse 37, it said, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and they said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? You know, what happened here is that the message connected and the message moved them. But it wasn't just Peter's words. Now, that's the thing sometimes that we overlook. We think about uh, the Bible just being words and these people just speaking. And, and even when we talk about Jesus, it's being words, but it's so much more than that. This is obviously a significant work of the Holy Spirit that's happening here that day. God is doing something. God's moving through the Word. You know, the Holy Spirit works in the life of a believer to encourage us and confront us and empower us and, and challenge us, but the Holy Spirit also works in the life of an unbeliever, too, to convict them of their sin. So when the gospel is spoken and shared, the Holy Spirit is, is empowered to move and to convict hearts. Sometimes we think, you know what, we have to convince people of something, but whenever we speak the gospel and the Holy Spirit is loose to work in people's hearts and move, that's where everything changes. It's a powerful combination. And this is the work that God wants us to do today. He wants us to share Jesus with people, not to feel like we have to be convincing in our words, but instead that we just open up people's hearts and they hear the gospel and the Holy Spirit is loose to change their hearts. You know, the history of the Jewish people, which a lot of this chapter has been that Peter preached that day is probably not going to impact us we don't connect like they did to David, for example, and Old Testament prophecies and such, but, but the reality is <coughs> the gospel, the story of Jesus, his divine birth, his perfect life, his sacrificial death, his resurrection, and his offer of salvation that we can have eternal life, those things combined with the power of the Holy Spirit can and does change lives. And many of us here today, I would say most of us here today are, testimony of that. We're witnesses of what God has done and what God can do in our lives because we've come to know Jesus through this same gospel. It's not a new gospel. It's not a new word. It's not a new teaching. It's the same thing that's grounded in the truth of God's word that all of us have come to know and love and embrace and that we want everybody who hasn't done that to do the same. This is the same message that we preach today. Jesus Christ crucified and resurrected. And notice here it says at the end of that, that the Peter said, people said, what shall we do? What shall we do? The words were convicting the Holy Spirit was moving and people said, what shall we do? And I'm not going to get into the next couple verses, but I do want to read it uh, because the answer is given there. We can't just leave it hanging. But Peter says, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's the answer. We'll go into that more next week, of course, but let me leave it right there today. That's what God is calling us to do. You know, we're blessed uh, here at Journey because we're seeing God change a lot of lives and a lot of people come to know him, especially this year. And we do have a baptism here in just a few moments. But let me say this, that if God's word has convicted you today and his Holy Spirit has moved you to say, today is my day to give my life to Christ, we want to give you that opportunity to do that. In just a moment, we'll have a time of response, and I'm going to go back and prepare for a, a baptism, but Tony will be up here, and if you want to talk to him or you want to just come back and prepare to be baptized, we're going to have a baptismal service, and I, we always just open that up to anyone. Uh, Just if God is moving you and you want to be obedient like they did on the day of Pentecost as the Spirit moved them and it's moving you, we want to encourage you to do that. So you can go out that door and just come around and meet me back here in the back. We would love to be, uh, to see your life change today and you be as responsive today as they were in that day. So the invitation is open for you. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for today. Lord, thank you for your holy word. Father, I, I don't feel like I've been able to adequately... Uh, express the power that happened on that day. And and God, I pray that your Holy Spirit is moving in each heart and mind and will impact them with your truth and with your holiness, Lord. God, we love you and and we want to be faithful to you just as they were in that day. God, we want to see Jesus uh, be shared and... And become the Savior of all who would respond. So, Lord, I pray that if there are those here this morning who have not given their life to Christ, that they, like the people in that day, might be convicted with through your Holy Spirit. And that, Lord, there would be lives that would be changed. And the eternities that would be uh, prepared, Lord, because of Jesus Christ. Father, we love you. We worship you today. Uh, we want to celebrate this time and celebrate who, who, who you are as our, our living God. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together and worship him.